Amen. I'd like for you to turn your Bibles, if you will, tonight to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Um, Jesus is, um, has just shared the, in the first part of the chapter, he taught them many things by parables, the Bible says. And he told them uh, the, what we know of as the parable of the sower sowing the word. Now, the Bible says that after he was alone, the twelve came and asked him about the parable. Let's start reading in verse 11, Mark chapter 4. And Jesus said unto them, and preceding his explanation about the parable of the sower sowing the word, he said, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? That means if we can understand the principles behind this parable of the sower sowing the word, you can understand how everything in the kingdom of God works. Now, may I ask you a question? And I don't mean to be smart up about this. This is a real question. How important is that? How important is it to know how everything in the kingdom of God works? Maybe we ought to turn that around. Is there anything that's more important than that? Jesus said, unto you it is given another mystery of the kingdom of God. Well, since he gave us an explanation or a record of that, since the Holy Ghost saved us a record, unto us it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now, folks, I want you to realize a mystery is something that's hidden. A mystery is something that's not clearly seen or understood. But to those that know the mystery, it's easy to see. How many of you have ever read a mystery book or seen a mystery movie or something like that? And, boy, you were perplexed all the way through, but then when they explained it, it was like, oh, well, of course. And then the second time you saw the movie, it wasn't a mystery at all. Right? That's the way this is supposed to be for us. It's a mystery to much of the church world. It's certainly a mystery to the, to the unsaved. But it should not be a mystery to us. Because once you see it, once you understand it, once you hear the solution, the principle that makes the whole of the kingdom of God work, we should never be confused We should never be in a place where we don't understand ever, ever, ever again. Unto you it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, that means outside the family of God, all these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive. I want you to notice something. God doesn't always make everything easy. Now that doesn't mean everything's hard. That doesn't mean the things of God are hard. They're not. But it takes some understanding, it takes some commitment, it takes some diligence to realize what God has made available to us. And God wants it that way. God wants it that way. I believe that because it costs Jesus, because redemption costs Jesus so much, God wants it to cost us something too. You know as well as I do that the things that have come easy to you have been the least appreciated things that you have. But the things that you had to commit yourself to and and pursue and and gain and and really work hard to get a hold of, those are things that were important to you. How much more true is that or should that be concerning the things of God? That seeing they may see, verse 12, and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. In other words, he's saying, uh, God is saying, and remember the, the people that are without that he's talking about are the Jews. He's not talking about the unsaved. He's talking about the Jews. He's talking about those that think they're in with God but haven't given themselves to what God said. They were going their own way and doing their own thing. God doesn't want people's sins to be forgiven or for them to be converted thinking they're doing it on their own way. There's a lot of people out there in the world that are saying, well, there are many paths to God. Well, good luck with that. Jesus said he was the only way to the Father. 
Now, why doesn't God, and here's, a, here's an unsaved point of view, why doesn't God, as many of the unsaved people will say, if God's a God of love and if God's a God of mercy, how could he send anybody to hell? Why doesn't God just make it available for everybody? Well, he does, but he makes it in one and only one way, and that's through Jesus. I like the fact that it's kind of an exclusive club because it separates who's really following God, who's really a doer of the word from those that are just posers, professors of religion. In the Old Testament, uh, by that I mean those who profess to love God. Jesus said, he that loves me is he that keeps my commandments. Boy, that separates a lot of people. If being a doer of the word is the, is the dividing line that Jesus uses, if it's the demarcation point between those who are disciples and those who just hear and, and acknowledge Jesus, that's pretty serious. Well, Jesus then explains the parable. He said unto them, Know ye not this parable? Then how then will you know all parables? In other words, the answer to this parable is not only the mystery, the key to the mystery and understanding all the things of the kingdom of God, it's the key to understanding every other parable. You understand this? It's the key, the master key that unlocks everything. The sower sows the word. Well, we understood that. It's the word of God that the sower is sowing. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, what's the problem? Did the word not work for them? Well, there's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed's the same in every uh, type of ground that it goes to. The problem is not in the seed. The problem is in the care of the seed. Second type of ground is they, these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. Who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, but have no root, literally no moisture in themselves, and so endure but for a time. They don't continue to water it. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Why doesn't God protect people from being offended? Wouldn't it be nice if he did? But that's our decision and that's up to us. Because we're the one that determines what kind of ground we're going to be. So these people get offended by the word or offended by um, uh, the affliction and persecution for the word's sake. And immediately they're offended. And these are they likewise which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Same seed goes into all three types of ground. It doesn't produce in, all the, in these three types of ground because of the lack of care for whatever reason, different reasons in different situations, but the lack of care that's given for the word. In other words, the attitude toward the word is what determines whether the ground is going to be good. And these are they likewise which are sown on, stu- on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and a hum- some a hundred. Now, how do they bring forth the fruit? Well, we know that they, they keep it moist. They water it because that's one of the things that kept the, the stony ground from producing. We know that they don't allow themselves the, the, allow the word to be choked out through the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. In other words, they care for the word and they give it such a place of prominence that it becomes more important to them than other stuff that's going on around them. 
In other words, the thing that makes the difference between good ground and everything, all the other types of ground, the three other types of ground that don't uh, produce or that are not fruitful, is the attitude toward the word. And Jesus said in verse 21, is a candle to be brought, I'm sorry, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? Now he's using an example of candle for our attitude toward the word. For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. You know what he's saying there? He's saying your attitude toward the word will show up in your life. It's one thing to say, oh, I love God, I love his word. It's another thing to be a doer of the word. And your life will show which one you are. Because doers of the word produce good ground or or, are the good ground and produce fruit. Different measures, but at least they produce fruit. Then he says in verse 23, if any man has ears to hear, let him hear. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, what is he saying? Is that just a, a cryptic saying that Jesus is trying to, to, to put out something mysterious and say, now, if you're really willing to hear this, hear it. Now, this is the attitude toward the word that he's talking about. This is the key to understanding the mysteries of God, having ears to hear. Having ears to hear. Now, what do ears to hear produce? Well, they cause you to take action in your life to water the word. Having ears to hear causes you to avoid the offenses of affliction and persecution. It causes you to give the word a greater place of prominence and priority in your life than the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things. It's all wrapped up in having ears to hear. That is the principle. We might say it's the farming principle, the principle of taking care of the seed. Then he said in verse 24, take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you and what and to you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath, meaning hath ears to hear. For he that hath ears to hear shall be given, to him shall be given. And he that hath not ears to hear, from him shall be taken away even that which he has. In other words, he's saying your attitude toward the seed, your willingness to take care of the word of God in your life will determine whether or not you are given, whether it will determine, first of all, whether or not you produce fruit in your life, whether more is given to you or whether you lose whatever you had. It's all wrapped up in your attitude toward the word. Then he said in verse 26, I love this. He said, so is the kingdom of God. Here's what the kingdom of God's like, folks. Now, who would know better than Jesus? He said, this is what the kingdom was like. The kingdom of God is like a man casting seed into the ground. Now, has he changed subjects? He's talking about the parable of the sower sowing the word. And he's saying this is what the whole kingdom of God's like. It's like a man casting seed into the ground. Now, what have we just found out that the seed is? It's the word of God. What have we found out that the ground is? It's the condition of your heart. So he's saying literally this. If we can, if we can substitute the, the meanings that we've already identified... For this, in this verse of scripture, he said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should speak the word of God into his own heart. That's what everything about the kingdom of God is like. It's about speaking the word of God into your own heart. And should sleep and not, and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. Aren't you glad you don't have to know how it's all going to work? Now that's what the devil will try to beat you up with. The devil will question you, how is this going to work? Folks, once you come to the realization that you don't have to know how it's going to work, 
There's great peace in that because there's an answer for the enemy. When he says, how's this going to work? I don't know. Well, you better figure it out. I don't have to know. The Bible says the whole of the kingdom of God is me speaking the word into my heart, going to sleep and getting up every day, just speaking the word of God into my heart. I don't have to know how it's going to work. Because isn't that the way the devil will come and attack you? He'll say, you know what the doctor said. He said it can't return back to the way it used to be. He said there's no recovery for this. How's it going to work? How is your faith in God's word, how is your confession in God's word going to make a difference? I don't know. I don't have to know how. I just know that it will. Folks, there is great comfort in ignorance in that sense. I don't suggest you to be ignorant about the word. But you don't have to argue with the devil on every little point. In fact, that's one of the ways that he tries to get you distracted. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground or speak the word into his heart and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how for because here's how it works. Now, Jesus is still telling us the principle about the kingdom of God. He says it works just like growing crops for the earth brings forth fruit of herself. Now, the earth he's talking about is the ground. Your heart will bring forth fruit of itself. If you're speaking the word of God into your heart, your heart will produce. Remember, he just said about the candle, it's not meant to be put under a bushel or under a bed. Everything that is hidden will be manifest. It'll be manifested whether or not we're speaking the word of God into our hearts. Because your heart will produce. You speak God's word and your heart will produce. You speak God's word or another way that Jesus just described that is having ears to hear. Attending to the principle that controls all of the kingdom of God and unlocks the mysteries of the kingdom of God. You speak the word of God in your heart and your heart will produce. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. No maybe so's, no hope so's. Jesus said the earth brings forth fruit of itself. In other words, your heart will produce. God made your heart to produce good fruit. You're the only one that can ensure that it does produce good fruit. And you have to go out of your way to make sure that it doesn't produce good fruit. You've got to let the devil steal the word from your heart as in the wayside ground that it was talking about. Or you've got to let the devil distract you through persecution or affliction to keep you from watering the word or speaking the word into your heart. Or you have to get distracted by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things to keep from attending to the word. God made your heart to produce fruit. God made your heart to bring forth what his word says is yours. You were designed that way. You were created that way. And all it takes is speaking the word into your heart to make it happen. That's almost too simple, isn't it? For the earth brings forth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. What is he saying? He's saying spiritual growth is progressive. Just like natural growth is. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately... He puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. It may not look like a full harvest when it just starts, when it first begins to grow, but it will turn out to be a full harvest that you can reap and enjoy. Then he goes further and says in verse 30, whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? God must be interested. Jesus must be interested in us understanding what the kingdom of God is like. Because he keeps liking it to different things. He keeps using different examples. He's trying to get the point across. Why? Why? Because he wants us to partake of it. 
He wants us to enjoy all the blessings of the kingdom of God. He's not trying to keep anything from us. He's trying to show us how to make it work. Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. Whether you know it or not, a grain of mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds in the world. It's like a grain of mustard seed which is, which is, when it is sown into the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. Notice it still comes back to the same thing. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, folks, I love tomatoes. And so in summertime, I like to plant tomatoes in my backyard. I, I just, there are some, you know, farm to market places where you can get good tomatoes, but supermarket tomatoes and stuff, uh, I can't stand those things. They're mealy and they're hard and they're dry. And I, I'll always, I just like growing my own. So we put a garden box in our backyard. I tried to grow some other stuff and I'm not good at anything else, but I'm good at tomatoes. So this year, I just planted all tomatoes. I got about seven or eight different varieties of tomatoes. I researched this thing, and I found out where the best seed comes from and, and uh, sent off for them. I had to wait for a long time for them to get there and just the whole deal. But I love tomatoes. So I've got my whole garden box filled up with tomatoes. Now, I'm not a farmer. I may sound like a farmer, but I'm not a farmer. I don't know anything about farming, but I understand certain principles. I understand, first of all, that you got to have good ground. So I got the best soil that I could get last year for the crop that I put in. And then this year I got another load of uh, compost and mix it all together. I mean, I've got some good ground. Secondly, I know that I need good seed. Now, I didn't plant from seed. I, I got the plants, ordered the plants. And like I said, I found the, the place that does the heirloom tomatoes and all that kind of stuff, you know, the real organic, down-to-earth real stuff. Had to wait a long time for them to come in. And boy, when they come in... I, I did just exactly what the directions told me to do and planted them just the right way and all this kind of stuff. Now, after that, I'm pretty much out of my element. If a good farmer came in, I wouldn't even be able to have a conversation with him. But I understand that it takes sunlight and water for plants to grow. So I set it up for a drip irrigation, a little soaker hose to go through there. It soaks every day. I don't care what the water shortage does. I don't care what they charge me for it. I'm watering my tomatoes every day. Put it in the sunniest place I could find in my yard that it would fit with the decor of the backyard and the whole deal. Limited a little bit, but nevertheless. Beyond that, all I need to do is, all I know to do is keep the pests off of it. Now, I don't have to be an expert farmer to plant, to know the basics and the principles of growing tomatoes. I don't know anything about growing beans. I planted pole beans last year and we got a little bit off of them, but they didn't turn out the way that we wanted them to, so forget it. I'm not doing it again. Tried that. I'm not in the business to, I'm not in the market to become a farmer and expert in a lot of things. So I'm going to stick with what I like. And as long as I stick with those principles, I should be okay, shouldn't I? Now, I don't have to know all the ins and outs. I don't have to be an expert farmer to get a crop. Now, my tomato plants are growing, and man, they're doing good. I've got some little tomatoes on some of them already. I've got blooms on the others. There's only one tomato plant that came as a runt. And so it took a little special care of it, but even that one's coming along. Don't have any blooms on it yet, but it's catching up. And all I have to know are the basics. I'm glad I don't have to be an expert to have good taste in tomatoes. 
You don't have to be an expert in the things of God to get the word of God to work for you. You just got to understand the basics and the principles. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across to us. Now, it's an interesting thing to me that of all the New Testament examples and all the the New Testament writings and and so forth, like, for example, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, we've got a whole chapter that tells us about the heroes of faith. And it gives us an example of what people did. Noah, uh, by faith, built the ark. Abel, by faith, offered a better sacrifice. Enoch, by faith, walked with God and, and was translated because he was not, and so forth. It tells us about actions that the people took. In each case, it tells us about actions that they took, a manner of behavior or something that they did in their life. And in many cases, uh, like, for example, it uses an, uh, um, Isaac and, uh, uh, as an example of faith. There's very little that we know about Isaac's life. Isaac was not somebody that was really strong in faith for the entirety of his life. There were a couple of things that he did, and the Bible under, uh, identifies those and emphasizes those. And there are several people like that in the heroes of faith, the Hall of Fame of Faith. People that did certain things that were acts of faith, but overall their lives were no big deal. At least from what we have record of in Scripture. But in each case, there was some action that they took as a result of what God said or what God had commanded or or something that God had directed them to do that caused them to stand out and be used as an example. But of all the examples that we have, there's one that stands out. And that's Abraham. Now, the reason I think that God uses Abraham as the example is for a couple of reasons. First of all, it was the example that the Jews had. The Jews kept saying that we're of our father Abraham. Every time Jesus was would try to tell them about uh, what his work was and his mission and so forth. For example, in John chapter 8, there's a lot said in John chapter 8 where the Jews are claiming to be Abraham's children. Well, Abraham is our father. Finally, Jesus says in about 34, verse 34, 35, somewhere around there, Jesus finally says, if you were of your father Abraham, you'd receive me because you'd do the works of Abraham. Well, what were the works of Abraham? Abraham's known as the father of faith. In other words, or another way to say it, another thing you need to realize is that everything that we have in Christ Jesus is because of Abraham's faith in God. The covenant that we have with God. Galatians chapter 3 tells us that we've been redeemed from the curse of the law, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. If Abraham hadn't operated in faith, we wouldn't have a blessing of Abraham to claim. Everything goes back to Abraham. That's why in God's eyes, We may not recognize the importance of it, but in God's eyes, everything hangs on Abraham's faith. We are children of Abraham, spiritual Israel. We are children of Abraham spiritually because of Abraham's willingness to believe God. And Paul goes into great detail in Romans chapter 4 to tell us what that faith was like. Now, what kind of faith did Abraham use? What kind of faith are we supposed to operate in? Think of it like this. Abraham unlocked the key to the mystery of God, the mystery of the kingdom of God, without even knowing anything about it. Jesus didn't appear to Abraham way back when and say, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. He appeared to him instead and said, go where I tell you to go and I'll bless you and I'll give you children. I'll make you rich. That's all it was. There wasn't even a spiritual component to it. He didn't say, I'll make a place for you in heaven. Even today, there's very little spiritual component to Judaism. The Jews aren't looking for some place in heaven. The Jews are looking to rule the earth. 
That's why over and over again in Jesus' life and ministry, people kept coming to him and said, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Jesus tried to dissuade him. He said, I'm not about this earthly kingdom. My kingdom is not of this earth. Well, if your kingdom's not of this earth, what about what God told Abraham? What about what we're living by? Folks, the things that he told Abraham were natural examples of the spiritual blessings that we have because of Jesus' sacrifice. But it was all dependent on Abraham's faith. Because without Abraham believing God, there would have been no seed of Abraham. There would have been no child born. There would have been no natural seed, which means Jesus couldn't have had a natural seed to be born of, a seed of woman to be born of, which means you and I wouldn't have a redemption. It was all dependent on Abraham's faith. Now, what did Abraham do? Turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. I know you're aware of this, and we talk about it a lot. And the reason we talk about it a lot is because the Bible talks about it a lot. Paul uses this as the major component. And even when Jesus taught us about faith, for example, Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, these are principles that Abraham put in practice without even knowing what faith was. We don't have any record that Jesus had a seminar with Abraham before he believed God and taught him about faith. For Abraham, it was a matter of trusting the one that it was uh, that had appeared to him, trusting the one that was speaking to him, trusting the one that was directing him. That's all it was. I think a lot of times we make a mistake when we complicate the subject of faith. We'll teach on the subject of faith, and people have the idea and get the idea that it's about a ritual. It's about a set set of steps of do's and don'ts and do this and don't do that and that kind of stuff. And it's really all about trusting God. That's all it is. We don't have any record that Abraham had a faith seminar for Isaac. Wouldn't have been anything wrong with that. I'm sure he taught him about trusting God. But it was about a relationship. Folks, faith is a relationship with God. Faith is a relationship with God. We are able to act on God's word and expect results because of the relationship that not only do we have with God through Jesus, but the relationship that God has with his word. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, it says, As it is written, here's what God said to Abraham, I have made thee, past tense, please notice that it's past tense, when God spoke to Abraham, he said, I have made thee the father of many nations. Not I'm going to, I have made thee. Now how had God made him? Because he decreed it. How was it that Abraham was the father of many nations before he ever had children? Because God had decreed it. It wasn't true when Abraham had a son. It was true when God said it. Well, if we can ever get that, that's everything. See, the Bible says Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we are healed. I'm not healed because I look healed in my body. I'm not healed when the doctor says that I'm well. I'm healed because God decreed that Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. It doesn't become true when it manifests in my body or appears in my flesh. It is true because God has decreed it. God decreed that the sacrifice of Jesus would pay the price for sickness. Well, once Jesus was sacrificed, that's it. It's a done deal. The past tenses of God's word are everything. 
So God said to Abraham, I have made thee, past tense, the father of many nations, before him. Another translation says, like unto him who be believed. In other words, here's how Abraham was like God. Here's an aspect of how Abraham was like God. And it tells us how God is. It says, God, who quickens the dead. Well, there's no way you can be like God on that. We don't have power to make dead things live. But God does. God has the power to make dead things live. That's going to be important to Abraham because his body is dead in the manner in which God says it, is, it will live. And the second characteristic it mentions about God, and this is how Abraham was like him or imitated him, God who calleth things that be not as though they are, or literally as though, as though they were. God who calleth things that are not, that be not, as though they were. Who, verse 18, and I, I really wish there was a better translation of this than the King James, who against hope believed in hope. In other words, it means Abraham had his eyes wide open. He had na- no natural circumstance to confirm or to agree with what God said about him having been made, past tense, the father of many nations. There's nothing in his life that can substantiate that. Nothing in his life that can confirm that. Remember Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and their life. Hebrews chapter 11 says, faith is the uh, evidence of things not seen. You need to put those two verses of scripture together and realize that faith is about stuff you can't see. If you're believing in something you see, that's not Bible faith. That's why it's so ridiculous for us to try to judge God's word by what we see. Because God's word and faith in God's word, trusting God's word to be true, is about the unseen and not about the seen. That's why the devil always tries to get you over into the circumstances. He wants you to look at what you can see in your body. He wants you to look at how you feel. He wants you to look at the condition, whether it's improving or whether it's not improving. He wants you focused on your body and the condition of your body. It's impossible to judge God's word by your body. It's impossible to judge God's word by the circumstances in your life. Impossible. Because God's word is not of the realm of circumstances. It's of the realm of the unseen. The spirit realm. Now remember Jesus said that the spirit realm is more important and more real than the natural realm. He said, heaven and earth will pass away. That's the natural realm, isn't it? He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never fail. That which pertains to the unseen, that which describes the unseen realm, which is God's word, God's word which describes the unseen realm is impossible to fail. But everything about the circumstances that the devil wants you to look at, Everything about the way you feel, everything about the doctor's report, whatever it might be, everything pertaining to the circumstances will pass away. Now, what does that mean? Well, if we're judging the circumstances by God's word and not the other way around, that means the circumstances will change and pass away or be altered by the truth of God's word because it can never fail. In other words, God's word can change any doctor's report. God's word can change any condition or circumstance in your flesh. But remember, Jesus said the mystery of the kingdom of God is attending to the word. The problem is not the word, never is. It's the attention we give to the word. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should speak the word of God into his own heart. And should sleep and rise night and day. And it would grow and produce fruit. He knoweth not how. 
So Abraham had no natural circumstances to rely on. There was nothing in his flesh, nothing in his life that confirmed or agreed with what God had already said he had made him, which was the father of many nations. He had no evidence to support that. He couldn't look at any part of his body. He couldn't look at any part of his life and say, well, yeah, I guess that that is kind of an indication that God has made me the father of many nations. He had nothing. That's what it means in verse 18, who against hope believed in hope. Literally, without natural hope, he put his hope in something he couldn't see. What was the hope that he couldn't see? According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. He put his hope in God's word. He had no natural circumstances to put any hope in, so he chose to put his hope in what God's word says. Now, why did he do that? So that he might become the father of many nations. In other words, if he hadn't put his hope in something he couldn't see and tried to put his hope in circumstances that contradicted the word, if he gave attention to those circumstances, then he never would have become the father of many nations. Now, stop and think about that, folks. Think about the, 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 uh, how everything hung in the balance. And it, it wasn't hanging in the balance, God letting it get right to the edge and then snatching it back into uh, safety. It was hanging in the balance based on what Abraham chose to do or not do. That's mind-boggling to me. It's mind-boggling that God would put his will in the hands of man and let it hang in the balance based on man's choice. Now, granted, God knew Abraham. God had already proved his faithfulness. He'd he'd, uh, uh, given him opportunities to trust him along the way, and Abraham had learned step by step at this point in time that these uh, events occurred. He's been walking with God for 25 years. But I know a lot of people that have walked with God for 25 years that they never would have done what Abraham did. And they know a lot more about who they are than Abraham knew. But God put everything in his hands. God put everything in Abraham's hands. It's up to you. Abraham, I've made you the father of many nations. Whether you become that is up to you. That helps me understand how that God has put all things under in our hands. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings and whether or not we receive it is up to us. Now, granted, the whole of the the seed of Abraham, the whole of the redemptive work of God doesn't hang in the balance over whether or not I receive my healing. But whether or not I receive my healing hangs in the balance based on what I will do or will will not do regarding the word of God. And the same thing is true for you. Some people think that's unfair. Some people hold God in in, uh, disregard because of that. They want God to make it all happen. They don't want to have any responsibility. But folks, you need to realize Psalm 107 verse 20 says God sent his word and healed us. It doesn't say he sent our good feelings and healed us. It doesn't say he sent his sovereign will and healed us. It says he sent his word and healed us. It's our attitude toward the word that is the key that unlocks the mystery of the kingdom of God. And God's not going to change that. So many times people pray, Lord, just heal brother so-and-so, knowing full well that brother so-and-so refuses to accept the word or act on the word or, or take it at face value. So really that prayer is praying, God, violates your word, which says you sent your word and healed us and heal him anyway. And then when that doesn't work, the church world turns around and says, well, we don't understand why God doesn't heal everybody. God does heal everybody when we work according to his principle. He does heal everybody when we work according to the principles that unlock the mysteries of the kingdom of God.
That's never failed. And I think that's what the candle being put under the bed or under the bushel is about. Everything is manifested. You can see the results of what we do in our lives. You can see the results, by the results, what our attitude toward the word really was. Now, I know it's easier to pray, God, just do something on your own according to your sovereign plan than it is to take the word of God and speak it into our hearts and hold fast to it. But that's the way that it works. That's the way that healing works. So Abraham had no natural circumstances to hope in, so he put his hope in the unseen. What was the unseen? What God said. I have made thee the father of many nations. Well, he sure can't see any evidence of that, can he? So he has a choice. He has the same choice that you and I have. Do we accept the word or do we say, well, it doesn't look like that to us, so we'll just forget it. That's the choice on being good ground or one of the other three types of ground that doesn't produce fruit. Verse 19, and being not weak in faith, being not weak in faith. That's a choice, folks. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. It doesn't mean that he denied the condition of his body. It means he didn't allow the circumstances that he could see to be the final word on the subject. The circumstances conflicted and contradicted God's word, so he chose to accept God's word instead. Now, folks, this is the faith that works. I know people have variations. They have hybrid forms of faith. Well, we'll confess the word a little bit and then we'll confess the circumstances a little bit and we'll hope it all shakes out in the end. And God is under no obligation to honor that kind of faith. He is under obligation to honor the faith of Abraham because that faith is given to us as an example of the faith that receives. Well, if he's not weak in faith, what's he going to do? How's he going to operate? He's got these contradicting circumstances day after day after day staring him in the face. He's got his body not performing in the manner that it needs to to become the father of many nations day after day after day. What's he going to do? He has no power to make this thing work on its own. He has no power to make his body perform sexually. What's he going to do? There's only one thing he can do, and that is regarding the word, not regarding the circumstances. So it says, instead of being weak in faith... Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. I like this a lot better than the American Standard Version. It says, but looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief. In other words, he's not considering or looking at. The word consider means to intently gaze upon. He's not looking at his body as the evidence that he needs. So what is he looking at instead? He's looking at the word of God. He's looking at the promise of God. He's looking at that which tells him about the unseen. Why? Because faith is the evidence of things not seen. Moffat's translation says it this way. Faith means we're confident of what we don't see. Faith means we're confident of what we don't see. How can you be confident of something you don't see? There's only one way you can, folks, and that is by knowing the one you're in a relationship with. See, there are people that are close enough to me, and I'm sure the same thing is true for you. There are people that are close enough to me that if somebody came and told me they did such and such, there's no way in the world I'd believe them. Doesn't matter if a crowd of 50 came and said, we saw it happen with our own eyes. If I know this person well enough, I'm going to say, that didn't happen because I know them. 
if we have that same confidence in God, if we know God well enough to know what he does and doesn't do, if we know him well enough to know that whatever he says is the truth because it's him that said it, then we have the opportunity to be like Abraham and look at the word of God as our proof no matter what the circumstances say. Looking unto the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief, but instead was strong in faith. Here's what strong faith is. Strong faith looks at the promise of God instead of the circumstance. It looks at the promise of God instead of the circumstance. Secondly, it gives glory to God. It praises God for the answer. Now, remember, we read over in Mark chapter 4, verse 21, I think it was. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should plant seed into good ground. We plant seed into the ground and we use the substitution for what those terms mean. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should speak the word of God into his own heart. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should speak the word of God into his own heart. That's what strong faith does. No matter what it looks like around him. No matter what he feels like, no matter what the doctor says, no matter what. He speaks God's word into his heart. When do you quit speaking God's word into your heart? When you reap the harvest. Once the harvest, once the earth brings forth fruit, then you put the sickle into the harvest and you move on to the next thing you're speaking God's word about. See, faith has to do with the unseen. Once you can see the answer, there's no reason for faith anymore. Jesus said, if you believe you receive, then you shall have. Having is when the harvest comes to pass. Until then, we believe we receive it. What does that mean? That means speaking the word of God into your heart. How did Abraham speak the word of God into his heart? Well, one thing the Bible says he did is he gave God glory. He thanked God for the answer. That's one way to speak the word of God into your heart. Is to thank him for the answer. Notice the next characteristic it says about Abraham's faith is, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. How do you flip that switch? Did Abraham just wake up one morning and say, okay, that's it, I'm fully persuaded? No, he developed that over 25 years. And then when God spoke to him and said, this time next year you'll have a child, he spent several months of that year being fully persuaded on the promise God had given him. Because remember, he was not fully persuaded about that promise before God appeared to him concerning that particular thing. When he appeared to him and says, you'll have a son, I'm going to make good on the promise I made to you 25 years ago and you're going to have a son, Abraham laughed and said, well, that ship has sailed. Just bless Ishmael. God said, well, I will, but that's not the child of promise. The child of promise is the one you're going to have one year from now and then he has to come back the second time and when he comes back the second time we don't know how much longer that was several months i guess but he comes back the second time and sarah's laughing when she hears him make the promise now abraham's attitude seems to have changed a little bit during those that that interim period however long it was couldn't have been more than three months assuming that she uh, carried isaac to full term because god said this time next year you'll have a son and then there's nine months of carrying a child so somewhere within between 12 months and 9 months before Isaac was born, God appears the second time. And when he appears the second time, Sarah is listening behind the tent. Women are always sneaky. Every woman seems to be like this. I don't know what it is. But anyway, she's listening behind the tent flap. And she hears God say that he's going to have this son. 
less than a year from that point in time. And she laughs in her heart. Now, when God identifies to Abraham, he said, why did Sarah laugh? Abraham calls her on it. He said, why did you laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. I won't make a comment about what women are like otherwise. But nevertheless, she said, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. But Abraham believes what God told him more than what she said. That's something new. Now, instead of laughing himself, he's calling her on her laughing. And when she says, I didn't laugh, he said, God said you did. You laughed. So in that interim period, whatever it was, no more than three months, in that interim period, Abraham is changing his attitude and his idea about what God says. Three months before, or up to three months before, he laughs when God says he's going to have a child. Now God says something, and whatever it is, he says, well, okay, if you say so, that's the way it is. What I'm trying to get across to you is being fully persuaded is a process. I don't know how long it's going to take you and me to be fully persuaded on whatever we're believing for. But I know this. I know that it never happens unless we're speaking the word of God into our own heart. I know that being fully persuaded comes from us speaking the word of God into our own heart. Now, why is that? Well, the Bible says, you remember Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8? This book of the law, God told Joshua how to be a success. If it works for Joshua to be a success, it'll work for you and me to be a success in whatever it is we need help in in life. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Out of your mouth. Out of your mouth. How do you keep something from departing out of your mouth? Because every time you say it, it's gone. How do you keep something from departing out of your mouth? You've got to keep saying it. You've got to keep the word of God in your mouth. In other words, you need to say it continually. He said, this word of the law, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. So speaking the word of God continually has something to do with meditation. Now, when the Bible talks about meditation, it's not this Eastern form of meditation, Eastern religion meditation that so many people are afraid of, you know, where somebody sits cross-legged and hums. Eastern meditation is about emptying your mind. I know too many Christians that are on that road already. (laughs) Meditation, according to the scripture, is not about emptying your mind. It's about speaking God's word. Now, when you speak God's word, it brings God's word to your remembrance. So the difference in Eastern religion meditation and Bible meditation, scriptural meditation is that Eastern meditation tries to get you to empty your mind so the devil can use your mind as his playground. Bible meditation is about filling your mind and your mouth with God's word. So this book of the law, back to Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now the rest of your time is yours, but day and night should belong to meditating in the word. It sounds like it should be a continuous thing. And folks, you can do that while you're doing everything else you need to do in life. You can be speaking the word of God as you go. That doesn't mean rapid fire repetition. I think it works better, at least for me, it works better when I speak it, think about what I'm saying, and then consciously choose to say it again. There may be a matter of a few minutes or whatever in between when I speak the word, depending on the situation I'm in and what's going on around me, but it's still the same thing. The word of God is not departing from my mouth It's staying in my mind. It's rolling over on the inside of me. And every time I do that, I gain revelation. It's like uh, over periods of time, it works different times, different lengths of time for different things, and at least it has for me. 
But over a period of time, I'll be meditating in the Word, and all of a sudden I'll see something I hadn't seen before. And I can't figure out for the life of me why I never saw it before. It's so clear, but it's so, it's so real. Once you do that, it's one step closer to being fully persuaded. Step by step by step. Now, in some cases, it's two steps to being fully persuaded. In some, sakes, in some cases, it might be ten steps, depending on where we are or what we're believing for. But step by step by step, through meditating in the Word, we become fully persuaded. That's how it works. That's how God created us, created it to work in us. So this book of law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. The whole purpose for speaking the word of God and keeping the word of God in your mind, renewing your mind to the word, is so that you can act in line with the scripture. Remember we talked about the heroes of faith over in Hebrews chapter 12. Every one of those did something because they believed God. It's what you and I do as an act of our faith that brings the results. that thou shalt observe to do according to all that's written therein, after meditating and after doing the word, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Well, if you want good success in receiving your healing, meditating, meditating the word of God, speak the word of God concerning healing. Say what God's word says concerning healing. That's what Abraham did. Abraham was strong in faith. How? By looking under the promise of God. What do we know that he did because he was strong in faith? He gave God glory. He thanked God for the answer before he saw the answer. You've got to be pretty well persuaded if you're going to thank God for the answer up front, don't you? He became more conscious of the truth of God's word than he was the inability of the circumstances in his body. And being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Folks, it's done me good in my life. At different times, believing for different things, it might be beneficial for you as well. But it's done me a lot of good just to stop and say, Lord, is this too hard for you? I've never had him answer me. Because I'm not really asking him. I'm considering it for myself. Because a lot of times, at least in talking to people, it seems to me that a lot of times folks aren't convinced that this is not too hard for God. They wouldn't come right out and say, this is too hard for him. He can, God can't do this because we all know that God is supposed to be able to do anything. But really what it comes down to is God can do anything that we can believe him for. I'm reminded of one situation in Jesus' ministry where there was a man that was asking God to heal him from blindness. And Jesus, before he ministered to him, asked him, he said, do you believe I can do this? Why did he ask him that? Only time in all the, the cases of healing in Jesus' ministry that Jesus ever questioned somebody about their belief in his, will, in his ability. Now, we know in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 8, the leper that came to Jesus, he said, I know that you can if you will. And Jesus said, I will be thou clean. And he was healed from his leprosy. But that one case, that one instance, Jesus asked the man, do you believe that I can do this? Now, if that man had been born blind, if he was an older, you know, uh, if he was an adult, which he must have been because of the terminology that's used in describing him, if he's been an adult, he's never been able to see in his life. He didn't know what seeing is. It's one thing to want something. It's another thing to believe that it can be done. I take great comfort in considering 
the ability to, in, of God to change the situation. I know some people look at that in kind of a negative way, but I don't mean it in a negative way whatsoever. I'll ask God about it. God, can you do this? And all the time that I'm saying it, I'm reminded of people that were in impossible situations and how Jesus ministered life and healing to them. Was their impossible situation different or harder than your impossible situation? I think one of the reasons that God waited till Abraham was 100 years old is to show us how that miracles can change impossible situations simply by faith. Simply by faith. We don't ever have a record. Have you ever noticed that in the story of Abraham, we never have a record of Abraham feeling some jolt of power in him? It doesn't say, and Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and one morning he woke up, and man, he felt strong. Never does tell us he ever felt a thing. Never. Why? Because the emphasis is not on what we feel or what we don't feel. The emphasis is on the truth of God's word. You need to realize something, folks, and that is this, and this is true for me too. You receiving your healing or whatever, if it's not healing you're believing for, whatever it is that you've got your faith extended for, you're receiving your answer comes down to one and only one thing. Is God's word true? Is God's word true? If his word is true, then, it, then it's worth our trust. He's worth our trust. It's worth us speaking God's word because that's the way it works. The only reason for us not to be doers of the word and not speak the word of God into our own heart is if we've decided ahead of time God's word's not trustworthy. But if it is, and thank God it is, we should never stop speaking his word. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to walk by faith. Thank you, Father, for unlocking the keys to the kingdom of God. You've shown us the mystery of the kingdom of God. You've shown us what the kingdom of God is like. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should speak the word of God into his own heart. And sleep and rise night and day. And it brings forth fruit he doesn't even have to know how. Thank you, Father, that your word is true. Thank you, Father, that your word is true. Say this after me. I believe in God's word. God's word says that Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with his stripes, I was healed. Therefore, I say... That I was healed by the stripes of Jesus. No matter the circumstance in my flesh. No matter the doctor's report. No matter what. I believe God's word is true. Therefore. I praise him for the answer. I thank God. That the word is working mightily in me. It's changing the circumstance. The seed of God's word is growing in my body. Bringing forth a harvest of healing and health. I refuse to look at the circumstances to judge God's word. Instead, I judge the circumstances by the truth of the word of God. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Now, I don't know what you felt when you said any of those things, but if you refuse to give up saying that, the devil's not strong enough to keep sickness on your body. How long is it going to take, Pastor Mike? I don't know. The Bible doesn't talk about time. It just says that if you refuse to give up on the word, God's word will change the situation in your flesh. Amen? Amen. Say it with me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Thank God for his word. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.